You are listening to a podcast from Camden Nazarene. Camden Nazarene is a Christ-centered and community-focused church located in Camden, South Carolina. We gather for worship each Sunday at 9.30 a.m., and you're invited to be our guest this Sunday. Well, good morning again. I hope everyone has had a great week, and uh, it is great to see each and every one of you uh, this morning. Uh, We're beginning, or we're continuing, a series that we're calling The Story, and we had, uh, there was books that were available. I had to order some more, so uh, I've I've got a little bit more coming in, and uh, I'm not complaining. I'm very, very, very thankful, but um, it was, uh, the books were a little bit more popular than I thought they were going to be, to be honest with you, so praise the Lord. Y'all keep up. Keep up the excitement. I like it, and uh, so they should be in uh, probably uh, probably Wednesday. Well, uh, they'll they'll be here. Uh, but you, it's an easy read. If you don't have the book yet, you'll be able to quickly catch up. Um, if you're in if you're in the book, then we're gonna we'll be from, we'll be preaching from today's message is from chapter two um, of of that. And for those of you who've been around the church for a while, you'll find that the first couple chapters. Uh, will probably be a little easier read for you because it's very familiar language. It's a very familiar story. And uh, so I, I was telling someone, they were like, oh, I've got I to catch up. I said, well, don't worry about it. You, you've been around church long enough. The first, at least the first two chapters will, will be a very, uh, it'll flow uh, very familiar uh, to you. Uh, but we'll be in Genesis chapter 17 this morning. Genesis chapter 17. And I uh, also want to, uh, want to make you mindful of uh, if, you're, if you're new with us or need some information, there's a QR code in the queue in front of you. Just open your camera app and uh, point, point it uh, at that code, and it'll send you to a link uh, where you can get the message notes for today. That's on the YouVersion Bible app, uh, and also uh, your link if you want to give online. You can give as you leave uh, the, the worship center this morning, of course, but if you want to give online, uh, you can do that uh, as well. Uh, speaking of giving online, February was our was our second highest giving uh, month uh, ever since we've been giving online. Uh, our, our highest was actually back in August, and so uh, we 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 missed beating that record by a couple hundred dollars. And uh, so, just uh, honestly, for I. Th- think 65% of us now, uh, most of you guys are all giving online. And uh, so we, we thank you for your generosity. Uh, and we don't prefer any method over the other. So I'm not trying to discredit giving in person. That's important too. So just, just a little information. That's just a little FYI um, uh, there uh, for you. But uh, you, can, you can facilitate all of that through that, that QR code. And uh, you, can, you can follow that follow that along. And uh, again, we, we thank you for your generosity. I was, uh, was visiting uh, someone this week. In fact, that's, it just feels so good. I was actually, I actually went to someone's house and we sat, I sat in the living room and, and, and did a, what they call a pastoral visit. That's been a long time since we've been able to do one of those because of everything. So as vaccines roll out and we're able to do those things. And uh, so they asked, how's the church doing? And I said, honestly, um, I know it looks slim, but for some reason, people are still giving, even though I can't get them to show up. I can't really explain it. But, um, <laughs> and I'm not, you know, it, it just, you take what you can get, I guess. And I, I said, honestly, that the church is, is doing well. And uh, we've, uh, we've, we've got the capacity to, to, do, to do things here uh, in person as well as online. And uh, so that isn't to say that 
I need you to stop being faithful because we're always going to be faithful to God, no matter how good times are or how bad times are. Uh, God invites us to be faithful and to obedient with our, with our time, uh, with, our, with our talents, and then, of course, with our treasure. But Genesis chapter 17, we'll begin reading at verse 1, and we'll go through uh, verse 8. And uh, I'm going to ask, if you can, to stand for the reading of God's Word. If you're not able to stand, that's okay. But, uh, but if you can, let's stand. Genesis chapter 17, verses 1 through 8. Hear the word of the Lord. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. So if you're at a point where you feel like you're too old to do anything for the Lord, this is not a good text for you. Because um, Abram was 99 when the Lord came and spoke to him. Verse, uh, verse 2, Then I will make my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. Abram fell face down, and God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham. For I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you, and kings will come from you. That's a very important verse to, to hang on to. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan, where you now reside as a foreigner, I will give as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you, and I will be their God. This is the word of the Lord. Are you thankful? Let's pray. Father, we are indeed thankful for the reading of your word. Now may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts, may it be pleasing and acceptable to thee, our rock and our redeemer. Amen and amen. You, you, you may be seated. You know, from the very beginning, we understand that, that God is a relational God. God is, he is relational in nature. We see this in, in a proper uh, theology of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We believe that the Trinity existed from the very beginning. We believe that at the very beginning, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit all coexisted as God. They were in this, this holy community. They, this, uh, some theologians call it the, this, this, uh, this holy dance of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, which is God. And at creation, this relational God reaches out and decides to invite <laughs> invite creation to be a part of this holy community, if you will. And, that's, and we see this in creation. We see that God is a relational God who longs to be in relationship. And so as he forms man there in the, out of the dust of the earth that he had created, he forms, he forms humans, male and female, and breathes life into them. And scripture says that we are created in his image. God is this relational God that invites us into relationship. And so our first parents, Adam and Eve, they, they chose a different vision and sin and the sinful nature entered the world, entered the human race. Yet God passionately pursues us at all great costs. I hope you, I hope you saw that in chapter one. If you're reading the book, I, those of you who were in my, who were in our class last week, we 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 talked about that. That God is a God that pursues us. 
And, and we see this pursuit of God in everything uh, in Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3, and, and on through chapter 9. We, we see this image of God pursuing us, even in the small things like God making clothes for Adam and Eve out of animal skin. That was an image of God pursuing Adam and Eve, Adam and Eve to, to cover, them up, cover them up, to 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 cause a sacrifice, an animal had to die in order for those skins to be made. So we see God pursuing from very early on. We see that uh, we see God pursuing humanity when all of humanity is wicked. But God says, "I'll choose one family. I'll choose Noah's family. I'll save them. I'll instruct them to build an ark. I'm going to destroy everything else, and we're going to we'll build back again with Noah's family." We see an example of God in pursuit of. Humanity, although, or, or while humanity chose sin and chose their own way, God still pursued and God still chose to pursue. And so now we're introduced to a man, a man named Abram. And Abram is, he's given a great promise. You know, promise is a word that gets, it gets thrown around a lot in our world today. Oh, I promise I'll be there or I'll, I'll promise to do this. You know, you hear it a lot. Your kid's like, oh, I'll promise I'll clean my room if, if you just allow me to, to do this. You know, so we live in a world, we hear the word promise a lot, but we also live in a world where promise in some many ways has kind of lost its meaning, has, hasn't it? But Abram comes along and God comes to Abram and Abram is given a promise or he's given a covenant. And so in Genesis chapter 12, we're introduced to Abram. Abram is this man living in Ur. He's about 75 years old when he encounters God. And God instructs him to, to pick up all his family, all his possessions. He's there in, in what would have been called Ur. And, I mean, he has it all. I mean, he would have been the mayor of Ur probably. I mean, he had all, he had the biggest farms, the most cattle, all of the, of the servants. I mean, he had it made. But God comes to him and says, Abram, I want you to pick up your family Pick up your entire state, and I want you to begin this journey. And so he picks up his family, and they begin to move. A part of this family is his nephew named Lot. And Lot, in his own right, has his own stuff and his own servants and his own cattle, and he has a pretty big estate too. And so as they're moving along, they get to a spot, and they realize, you know, nephew, I think you're a great nephew, but I don't really know if we can coincide in all this. You know, I like you, but I don't like you that much. And so they part ways. So you lot, you just, wherever you go, just go, and I'll just go the other way. You know, and you're thinking, I've had that exact conversation with family members before. You just go that way, and whatever way you go, I'm going to go the other way. See, see, next time you get in a fight, it's like, it's in the Bible. It's in the Bible. You just do your thing, I'm going to do my thing. <laughs> and so they part ways, and... I'm not going to get into that part of the story, but eventually Abram, Abram has to go and rescue Lot and all that happens. So just, just so you know, if you think you can part ways with your family, at some point God will call you to go rescue them. All right, so just, it's just going to happen, okay? But God, in this whole process, he promises to Abram that I'm going to make you a father of great nation. We see this promise happen at least three times in Abram's story. We see it in chapter 12. We'll see it again in chapter 17, but it's in 17, chapter 17 where Abram says, you know what, God, I've been following you. I've been traveling. I've been on this journey. You say that 
you're going to make me into a great nation, but I've got some questions. In fact, it's in chapter 15, verse, verse 3, that Abraham says, or Abram at the time, says this. And I, Abram said, you have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. So Abram's, you know, hey, this is, this is great, God. I've, you know, this has been fun. Uh, you talk about this nation thing. How is this going to happen? Because I don't, I'm childless. My wife is barren. So I'm assuming that you want me to, to turn this all over to my, to my servant. And God affirms him, no, 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 it's not going to happen through your servant. It's not going to, that's, you're going to bear a child. And so then they, they go on with life and Abram and his wife, they decide to take matters into their own hands. There's even a part where they kind of think it's somewhat comical that God would uh, choose this path for them. And the, the, Sarah, she has, her name hasn't been changed to Sarah yet. Sarah says, well, you know, Abram, I don't think this is going to work out with us. We, you know, we've been trying to have kids for a while, so I, it must be that God wants, you, wants us to have kids through my servant Hagar. So let's, let's try this route. And it's kind of, it's, it's funny how it reads, you know, uh, it says Sarah offers her servant to, uh, to Abram and Abram says, oh, okay, you know, like there's no like, let me think about it. You know, it just, it, I just found that very interesting. And, and, and so they, they have a child and God has to come and this child's name Ishmael and we won't go to that root of the story, but God comes to Abram. It's almost like, that's not what I was talking about. <laughs> that's, that's. Not what I was talking about, Abram. But God, once again, he comes to Abram and he reminds him of the promise. And this is where we are in, uh, in, in, verse, or in chapter 17. When Abram was 99 years old, so we know, I've, I've, not off the top of my head, but uh, Ishmael would have been born uh, in, in his early 90s or even in his late 80s. But now that he's 99 years old, the Lord appears to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me faithfully and blameless. So once again, God is coming to Abram to remind him of the promise, to, to in fact, give further instruction. And so from the very beginning, God is very clear of who he is. He says, I am God Almighty, or El Shaddai, if you've heard that terminology before. And so throughout the Old Testament, God is very clear on who he is. God comes to Abram. He's going to give him, once again, remind him of the promise, but not before God reminds Abram who he is, that he is the God Almighty. And so he lays out who he is. He lays out his intentions. I think it's interesting because in a world that is, that is full of empty promises by empty people, I believe it gives us hope to serve a God who is, who is personal, who longs to have relationship with us, and who is always clear about who he is. And he gives us his name that we may call upon it. That's good news today, that God gives us his name. That when we don't quite understand the promise, when we don't quite understand where God is leading, we have been God, given God's name that we can call upon him in our, in our time of, of need. So this God Almighty, I am God Almighty, this designation for God 
It occurs, it occurs about 48 times in the Old Testament. And, and typically, when we find that God addresses someone like this, when, 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 when he uses El Shaddai there in the Hebrew, it really means that a life-changing message is about to follow. And then in verse 2, we see it. Then I will make my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. And so for, for a third time now, God promises Abram that he's going to make him into a great nation. He's going to be a father of a great nation. We know that Abram has struggled with this promise. But God once again reminds him of it. And so you have to really understand the culture of, 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 of Abram and his wife Sarah, or Sarah at, at, at this moment, to really appreciate the depth of the promise. You see, for Sarah, her worth revolved around whether or not she could produce children. For Abraham, his worth revolved around land ownership and producing crops. Remember, as Adam and Eve left the garden, God told them that Eve would bear great pain in producing children. And in the, and in the same way, Adam would have a difficult time uh, producing crops. And so in this production-driven world that they're living in, and even the production-driven world that we're living in, think about this great message, what it says in the production-driven world that God comes to a man who has a lot of stuff, but at the moment doesn't really have any land because he's moving, he's a nomad, who has a wife who's barren, and God chooses to promise these two individuals, you're going to be a great nation. To a woman who her whole worth revolves around whether or not she can have children, God comes to her and says, you're going to have children. You're going to be, your, 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 your husband Abraham is going to be the father of a great nation. You're going to have a multitude of descendants. And in verse 3, we see Abram's reaction. Abram, he fell face down, Scripture says. He fell face down. It's like he was in this, he was in this position of worship. He, it's almost like he just accepted whatever God had laid upon his heart. And it's my hope that we can accept God's call on our lives, on our lives, just like Abram, on our face, prostrate before God. Typically, this, this kind of position is it, it, to Im, indicate a homage or some sort of submission before man, but, for, but before God, it is indicative of adoration and worship. And so I'm convinced of this. Without consistent worship, it's difficult to see where God is leading. Without consistent worship, it is difficult to see where God is leading. And you probably think, oh, okay, here goes pastor talking about we got to be in church all the time, got to be in church all the time. Yes, you do need to be in church all the time. But worship goes far beyond that. When I say consistent worship, I mean consistently making your life a life of worship, a spiritual act of worship, as the Apostle Paul talks about, serving, loving, looking towards how can I glorify God with my actions? How can I glorify God in my family? This is what consistent worship is. And yes, assembling together is a part of that. Assembling together with those who you are on the journey with is all a part of that. And it's hard to know 
It's hard to hear, it's hard to see where God is leading if we're not in this consistent position of worship. Because if we're not in this position, then we can't hear. We're, we're too worried about all the noise of the world. I believe that we may be missing out on, on, on so much that God has planned for us when consistent worship is not a part of our journey. Perhaps there's, there's more that God wants you to do. Perhaps there's, God, there's, there's more that God wants you to, 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 to serve and, and, and be a part, to be a part of his, of his plan, and you just can't hear it because worship just isn't a priority. The, the things of, of him are just not a priority. So again, God acknowledges to Abraham and his descendants that, that his descendants will be numerous. You know, so what's interesting about the story is we talk about this great promise to Abraham. But in the Hebrew, there's not really a good word for the English word promise. In fact, the literal meaning for the word used here when God talks about a covenant is a word that literally means a binding assurance. I don't know about you, but binding assurance might be, it's an it's a, it's a even better word than promise. For me, the word binding, it indicates something that cannot go back, something that is etched in stone that will not waver. <laughs> and assurance means, it reminds me, it reminds us of God's faithfulness. No matter the situation or trials, God will never leave us or forsake us. And we have that assurance that God, in his grace and in his mercy, gives us a binding assurance about our salvation through him, that he is always faithful, that he's always walking with us. Even when he calls us to things that we don't quite understand. Even when he calls us to things and we're thinking, I'm not sure how that could work out. I'm sure that's what Abraham thought. This man's, this man's 99 years old now. His wife's about 89 or 90. And this is the promise that God gives him. So I'm sure he's thinking, how, does this, how is this going to work out? But God gives him this binding assurance. You may be thinking, I don't know if I'm equipped to teach this Sunday school class. I don't know if I'm equipped to serve here. I don't, I don't know if I'm equipped to, to go and to, and to lead this ministry uh, to, to people who are less fortunate. But if God is calling you to that, then you have a binding assurance that God is going to equip you to do that. I'll put a plug in here for Sunday school. You know, if God has called you to teach Sunday school, you better teach it. Because there's not a more rewarding experience than for you to be in a classroom, whether it be adults, whether it be teens, and especially with children. Because think about it, that's the Really, that's the only, that's one of the few moments that our children really can hear the gospel broken down in a very simple way and on their level. You know, the majority of the kids who are baptized in this church, are, it's a result of them accepting Christ in Sunday school. So you think that maybe you can't teach Sunday school. You think you're too busy. You think, well, I just don't have a passion for it. Man, you need to get a passion for it but because what could be more rewarding than bringing a young child to Christ? So if God's got that call in your life, whatever it is, 
You also have a binding assurance that he is going to give you strength, that he is going to give you the power and the passion to pursue that. And so then we see a a name change here. I I told you, anytime God comes and he directs himself as I'm God Almighty, something big is about to happen. So look at verse 5. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be called Abraham. For I have made you a father of many nations. And on down it says how his wife will now be called Sarah. And so we see name changes. It's a recurring theme in this biblical story. It seems that when God calls us to something new, it's almost like we kind of have to shake off all, the, all of the evidence of who we used to be. <laughs> he wants to really make us a new creation. And Abram is certainly call, being called to something new. <laughs> and so now his name is Abraham. In fact, literally, the name Abraham The first part of that means high father. And then the last part, ham, means multitude, high father of many. And so perhaps in our story today, God is longing to to change us. Maybe God is is calling us to something greater, to enter into a covenant with him. And I believe that Abraham's name change was a way to give evidence to others around him that something was different that he was not who he once was. And this is true for us, that when we accept God's call on our, on our lives, and especially that initial call, that most, the most important call, which is the call of salvation, when we accept this call of salvation, everyone around us should know that we are different. Everyone around us should know that the old woman, that the old man is dead, as that gospel song reminds us of. That when people look at us, there's something There's something different. And it's because, yes, because I'm different. God has a call on my life. God has called me to to salvation in him. And now he rules and reigns in my heart. Yes, there is something different. That's what happens when God is leading. Check this out. When God is leading, we are being transformed. When God is leading, we are being transformed. That's not just when he leads you to an altar of salvation. That's not just when he leads you to an altar of sanctification where you surrender it all. But each and every day, as we are following God's leading, we should be in this process, in this journey of being transformed. Yes, it, yes, there's a crisis moment where you, where you know that you're in need of a Savior. Yes, there's this crisis moment where you know that you want the Holy Spirit fire to fall upon your heart and to purify your heart and your desires. But from that point on, it's a continual journey of transformation. Never should we rest on our laurels. Never should we rest and say, well, I got saved 10 years ago. This is what I'm, I'm ready to go to heaven. That's a stinky attitude, if I, if I could be honest. That's a bad attitude, actually. God didn't save you to sit on a pew with your arms crossed. He saved you for something a lot greater than that. He, saved, he didn't save you just to sit on the pew and cross your arms and get mad at the preacher every time he did something you didn't like. What kind of fun salvation is that? Where's, what kind of freedom is in that? Uh, but it doesn't happen in this church. But other churches, I mean, you, you've been there. You see what people get upset about? I'm thinking, this is how you want to live your new life in Christ? 
Always being up, being upset. My dad used to say, he used to call it the, the uh, he, people would get up the miff tree. They, they're up in the miff tree. They've gotten miffed. And just a matter of, they just need to come down the tree. And uh, when he would remind people of that, some of them, they would come down. Others, they just chose to stay in the tree even longer, which leads to a deeper problem, but that's, we're not going to go there. So when God is leading, we are being transformed. And then, a part, and then another thing of, of, of Abraham's story is we then get another glimpse of salvation. We, we, we get it in the son who was promised, the son Isaac. See, because verse 6 said, I will make you very fruitful. I will make, you, I will make nations of you, and kings will come from you. And so we see glimpses of salvation in this here in verse 6, and we're going to see it as, as Isaac is born. But that, that one little detail, and kings will come from you. This is very important. This was a very important verse uh, for the Israelites uh, while they were in exile and even after exile. So this would have been hundreds of years after Abraham, hundreds and hundreds of years. But they would always go back to this verse because it was very pivotal to know that kings would come from Abraham. This was, this was a, a, an, an echo. This was a look forward about the Messiah, the one who would come, who would offer salvation. And just think, it all begins here with Abraham. David, King David, is a direct descendant of Abraham. And Jesus is a direct descendant of David. So it's, this isn't all coincidence. It's all part of this, of this plan of redemption that God is showing his people over a course of hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, and it all comes into fruition. It all comes together in the person who was Jesus Christ, the Son of God. But then we get a glimpse of that even in, even in Isaac. So Abraham's 100 years old now. Sarah's 90. And Isaac is born. Again, if you think you're too old to serve the Lord... Got to look at the look at the story here, and I get it. You know, I don't want to serve the Lord that way, preacher. I, I know I, I I don't want you either, but it's just metaphor, okay? Okay, just metaphor. You know, God's God's He still wants He still wants us to be active in serving. So, despite Abraham taking things into his own hands, God still remains faithful, and Isaac is born. And I believe that Isaac is a symbol of our salvation story, and and, and we see it. We see it in a variety of ways. We see it just in the birth of Isaac. We also see it that as Isaac grows, the Lord comes to Abraham and says, Hey, got another, got another idea for you, Abraham. I need you to take Isaac. I need you to take him up to, onto the mountain. I need, you to, I need you to sacrifice Isaac. Very, very, one of the, one of the most... One of the most troubling stories, I, th- I think, of, of, of the Bible, because you start getting into child sacrifice, but, but what we know about Yahweh, what we know about the one true God is he is not a God of child sacrifice. So we know that without a doubt. But in this test, 
God decides to call upon Abraham to take Isaac up onto the mountain and, and to sacrifice him there. And Abraham being obedient. In fact, the writer of Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews reminds us that Abraham did, did this knowing that God could possibly resurrect Isaac. That's what the writer of Hebrew tells us there. I think uh, Hebrews uh, chapter 11. And in some ways, maybe Isaac was resurrected because they go up with the mountain and Isaac's like, hey, father, where's the, where's the sacrifice? He's all God's going to provide. Don't worry about it. You know, even as Isaac is being bound up, hey, dad, where's the, where's the sacrifice? Oh, don't worry about it. God's going God's to provide. And, and we know the story. We know that just as Abraham begins to, to, to start this process, God stops him and says, no, don't do that. And he looks over, and there's a ram there in the thicket, and that's the sacrifice. And in a way, Isaac, he was resurrected. And then I believe it's a glimpse to the Christ who was our sacrifice for atonement, who was our atonement made for us for our sins, who was resurrected on that third day. And so here, here we see that a glimpse of salvation. In fact, I would, have, I would argue that with Abraham and with Isaac, this is a, a, a new salvation history is being forged. It's, it's a new salvation story is being written. You could say it started with Noah. But, but I, I would argue that it really starts with Abraham as God begins to form this new nation around Abraham. In fact, you could say that Isaac was a, was a child of new history as, as, they, as they move forward. And so our salvation story, it begins with a nomad with a barren wife who by faith accepted God's promise, his covenant and call in his life. It culminates in God sending his son to live on this earth and to walk on this earth as a man. And then his son willingly suffers a cruel Roman death on a cross so that we may have salvation. And so what does it say to a production-driven world like ours today to just be given something? To just be given grace and mercy. In our world today, those things are not just given out. You have to earn whatever you get. But you see, God's economy is different. You see, grace and mercy rule in God's economy. Grace and mercy rule in God's economy. And so the good news that we have for those outside these walls, the good news that we have for those who don't know Jesus, that is that in this production-driven world, in a world where you think that you have to work for everything, in a world that you think that you have to be good enough or smart enough, we serve a God who comes to us and just wants to offer us and to give us a new life and to give us salvation. So let's wrap it up. In a world that's filled with empty promises, driven by production, driven by profit margins, driven by status, driven by stuff, in this world, what does it say when they hear that God freely offers and gives salvation? Freely offers to be our God, to be, to be faithful to us until the end. 
And I'm here to tell you, church, no matter what's going on in your life, God is here to offer change. He's here to give you a new name. He's here to give you a new calling. He's here to, to give you a new covenant, to give you a new direction. And it's not just a binding, it's not just a promise, but it's a binding <laughs> assurance. And are you ready? Are you ready to, to allow God to consume you? Perhaps you, you're here today and, or, or you're listening online and, and you've made that decision to, to accept Christ as Savior. It could be that God is calling you to something more. It could be that God is, is awakening you to your need that, hey, I just don't want to be your Savior. I want to be your Lord. Allow my spirit to purify, to cleanse your heart, to cleanse your, your intentions, to, to rise above that, that cycle of sin. And that happens when we, when we allow God to, to consume all of who we are. The good news is, this isn't just an empty promise. It's a binding insurance. In fact, the hymn writer would say it's a blessed assurance. It's an assurance that he gives us. His grace and mercy freely comes to us in such a way that we can break the chains of this and we can live into a new life of this is my story, this is my song, I'm going to praise my Savior all the day long. Do you want God to put a new song in your heart today? Do you want him, Do you want to experience that blessed assurance today? I hope that you do, and please know that you can. The offer of salvation the offer of God to, to be our God, to be faithful to us. It's a free gift paid for by his son, Jesus Christ. I hope that puts a new song in your heart today. Let's stand and let's proclaim this together this morning. Thank you for visiting Candanaz.church.